Religion and Popular Culture podcast, where we talk about religion, popular culture, and everything in between. I'm your anthropologist of religion, Vivian Asimos, and as always, I am joined with the sociologist with the mostiologist, Alid Thomas. Alid, how are you today? I'm well, thank you, Vivian. I've been thinking about if I'm the sociologist with the mostiologist, maybe you could be an anthropomologist? Oh, it's a okay. little bit, it's a little it's a little bit labored but I mean isn't it always isn't it yeah isn't sociologist <laughs> isn't that just our so. podcast yes <laughs> yeah that, that's review number one it's a little bit labored <laughs> but no I'm well thank you and how are you I I am feeling a little bit spooky Ooh. <laughs> I'm we have feeling sound a little spooky. No, I'm really excited because it's autumn finally. It took a while for I'm it to gl- get I'm here. I'm glad you're excited. I am not. It's cold and I'm miserable. Oh, I love it. It's no. the right kind of cold though, where it's like crisp and you just need like a jacket, but you don't need like a parka yet. Yeah, but I like to walk around in a t-shirt, as you know. Oh, I, like, I, compl- I, I like scarves and a jacket. <laughs> I, I like late spring when you're on the cusp of summer, so you can walk around in your t-shirt, but you're also not dying because climate change oh see i so i i'm excited for it being well well, i'm glad you are i'm happy that you're happy this episode will be coming out in the beginning of october which is my second favorite month um because it is the second best autumn month (laughs) november is the best month of the year because to me it's like peak autumn you've get you get the most range of tree changes happening all at once in november this has clearly been fault of us yes i mean what else do i do with my life (laughs) i'm either overthinking religion and popular culture or i'm overthinking months in autumn i I do quite like november because and you may hate me for saying this my excitement about christmas starts to set in (laughs) Oh, see, I don't get excited I, about Christmas I'm until a, about a week I'm, before. <laughs> oh, I'm I, I'm a Christmas guy. I once, when um, when I was doing my PhD, I went to a seminar at the OU, and I was wearing a Christmas jumper, and uh, it was my Christmas jumper that has gingerbread uh, uh, gingerbread people on it with um, Santa hats. Was this in May? <laughs> no, it wasn't in May, but I was still told it was too early. Um, it was, I want to say, December seventh. Um, okay, that's not too early. That's not even too early for me. I think it's fine to do it from December first. If you're going to spend money on a Christmas jumper, you want to get mileage out of that thing. So, because <laughs> well, I... December December fifth is Saint Nicholas Day. I think. I think you're right. So yeah, I think from that point on, you can be you can be Christmas. Yeah, and and why not? So I came into the seminar wearing this jumper, and eyebrows were raised. And a friend of the podcast, who has recently appeared on the podcast, <laughs> asked me why the hell I was wearing it. <laughs> because it was that too That sounds early. like him. <laughs> <laughs> but nothing, nothing would dampen my festive cheer. Well, we're not talking about Christmas today. <laughs> no, we're not talking about Christmas today. No, let's bring it back to Spooktober. We're talking back to, to Spooktober. So we've got two episodes coming out in Spooktober. Um, and the first one is bringing it back to, I think... At least for me, an original spook. Um, it was the the kind of beginning of vampire love in pop culture. Okay. Um, to the extent, I think, that it is. I mean, obviously, vampires have been around in pop culture well, for well, ages. I was, go- I was going to ask you when you discover this thing that we're discussing today that, I'm, for some reason, I'm keeping a secret as if people haven't seen yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've seen the episode title, I'm assuming. When you've yeah. hit play, you saw this. Uh, we're talking about Buffy today, and we've had an episode on Buffy before where we talked about it more generally in relation to the way it deals with monsters. Um, but today we're going to talk about a very specific episode. And this is episode, uh, season six, episode seven, Once More with Feeling, which I would probably think of as as probably the most famous Buffy episode. Yes, as a single episode. There are storylines that people, I think people maybe remember more, but in terms of a singular episode, it's got to be yeah. It's so talked about. I think my other favorite Buffy episode is Hush. Um, Hush is a fantastic which episode. is a fantastic episode. That's top five um, Buffy material right there. 
And maybe we'll talk about Hush later, but I just did a video essay on it and I didn't want to double up too much. I double up a lot. <laughs> between, Links between... in the description. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, so I, I tend to double up a lot on stuff, but I, I was trying not to do it too much. We'll just do two different Buffies. Um, but anyway, Once More With Feeling originally aired November, so we're not too far off from spook season. No. Um, but November of 2001. So it's been a while. <laughs> Oh. It, it makes me feel old. Um, and this is the musical episode. So the, musical episode. the whole episode is a musical. And the, the way that they kind of get around it is they, the idea is that there's a demon that comes to Sunnydale uh, who makes everyone spontaneously burst into song and dance and reveal their hidden truths. Yeah. This demon remains unnamed throughout the episode, but I think in the credits, it's Sweet is the name that they've given it. Oh, okay. I've not looked at the credits. Um, but I, I am not referring to the demon by Sweet in my notes. Um, I, to be fair, I don't mention the demon very much in my notes. I think um, the demon is pretty inconsequential. Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of there to explain why people why are singing, singing and dancing. Yeah. <laughs> pretty yeah. much. Uh, the title, Once More With Feeling, comes from one of the songs that the demon sings, kind of near the end, when everyone has revealed their truths and therefore are a bit feeling funky with each other, and says, um, quote, say you're happy now once more with feeling. Mm. Which I think is also a great line. Yes. And, so uh... I think before we get into any kind of analyses of the episode... Should we first talk about our experiences with Buffy and specifically with Once More with Feeling? Sure. Well, I was going to ask you when you watched Buffy because you're a little bit younger than I am. And Buffy is actually a little bit before our time. Yeah. I mean, so I... In terms I, of the target demographic. I grew up watching Angel. Right. Okay. And I, so I was a very late comer to Buffy. I only started watching Buffy once I was dating my now husband. Um, because he found out that I grew up watching Angel, had seen a lot of Angel, loved Angel, had never seen an episode of Buffy. Right. And he grew up watching Buffy, loved Buffy, obsessed with Buffy, never seen an episode of Angel. Mm. So we decided that we were going to watch all of Buffy and then all of Angel. So that way we were both caught up on each other's interests of the Buffy universe. Sure. So I was a bit of a latecomer to Buffy specifically, but not the Buffyverse because mm -hmm. of Angel. So I, I had seen episodes where Buffy had shown up in Angel. They had talked a lot about Buffy. They had talked a lot about the characters and the storylines that come up in Buffy. Um, so it wasn't completely uh, new to me. Seeing the fashions was <laughs> renewed memory of the fashions of the time. Mm. Uh, was it too much of a shocker? Which it is when you go back to rewatch it again nowadays where you're like, ugh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what about you? I only watched Buffy for the first time five years ago. Mm. Um, Toria showed it to me after insisting for years that she wanted me to watch it and we just never got around to it because she was obsessed with Buffy when she was a teenager. Um, she, yeah, obsessed with all things Buffy, massive poster of Spike on her bedroom wall, you know. <laughs> of course. All, you know, all the... I figured that's the one Toria would have, yeah, of course. Spike, not Angel. Uh, Angel was too broody where our Spike was a little bit of a bad boy, but, and I'm going to quote her here, he'll still take care of you. Um... <laughs> So she's clearly thought about this. I'm sorry if you're listening, Tora. Um, so we finally got round to watching it. I don't know why I didn't watch it when I was younger. I think partly because it was being shown on Channel 4 in the UK, I want to say. And because it was pre-age of streaming and things like that, it was hard to know where you were mm. in the narrative. And if you'd missed several seasons and things like that. So I just, I just never got around to it. So we sat down and we watched them start to finish and so you know I, I with all those dated aspects and things like that I was seeing it for the first time in like 2017 with no nostalgia attached or anything like that 
And I absolutely loved it. I was about to say, it's still a pretty good show. I, th- I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Um, really great. Holds up really well. You know, I don't care about fashion holding up well. You know, it's a Oh, no, piece. it's just let's, fun. Let's, you know, let, let's think of it like that. But, um, but the stories are still compelling. Um, particularly from, like, the third season onwards when it stopped being Monster of the Week and more... You know, they still did Monster of the Week, sure, but there there was more of an emphasis on a journey that the characters were going on and, a, you know, a, a big bad and, a, and, a, and mm. a big threat and things, which I found a little bit more interesting um, than when they were just doing Monster of the Week at the beginning. Um, I don't think it's a secret to anyone that I absolutely love Giles and would like to emulate him in every way. Um Anthony Stewart Head is, of course, a treasure. Um, but yeah, I, I loved it. And um, the musical episode, I enjoyed so much, we watched it twice in a row. Rather than moving on to the next episode, we just put it on again. So that's my experience. Yeah. So have you seen any of Angel? I know we're not talking about Angel today. Not as, the only bit I've seen of Angel is that there's an episode where they do like a Muppets kind of thing. I, I was about to say the the kind of equivalent musical episode for Angel is the Muppets episode. Yeah. Which but, is still so much fun and amazing. It does look fun. And they, they kind of look like Avenue Q. Yeah. Uh, that, that sort of thing. Maybe we'll do that episode sometime in the future. Yeah, but... well... um. Toria has never seen Angel either, despite being hugely into Buffy. And they are streaming now, aren't they? Either on Prime or Disney Plus. But they I think are they're around. on Disney Plus now. So we'll get around to it eventually when we work through the backlog of things that we've agreed to watch. But uh Highly suggest. Love me some Angel. It's very different than Buffy. I've only heard good things. But it is it as long as you're not going in expecting Buffy, it's quite good mm. and it's fun. But we're not talking about Angel today, we're no, talking no. about Buffy. <laughs> yes. Um, I think the musical episode was interesting. It, it kind of spawned the idea of musical episodes mm. in TV shows mm. that I don't think is as much of a thing anymore, but it definitely was in like the early 2000s. Oh, yes, yeah. Uh, um, I think Scrubs is the one that I think of the most as having a musical was, episode. That was extremely popular. That um, one was really good. <laughs> Because it was written by, oh, I can't, I can't remember the name of the guys, but they're the two guys who wrote Avenue Q. Oh, right. So um, it had a good Broadway team behind it. Uh, Community did a musical episode, mm. which isn't all that memorable, despite the fact I love Community. I was a little bit, because I, I was going in looking for something of Scrubs standard. Yeah. Um, as problematic as Scrubs is looking back on it. But uh, the musical episodes were fun. Uh, uh, the musical episode, I beg your pardon, was fun. I'm trying to think of another show. There's definitely... It was definitely a thing for a while. For shows like Buffy that were kind of long-running... Like Buffy and Scrubs, where they were like long-running serialized shows in the early 2000s, there would be a musical episode. I think it was particularly bold for Buffy as well, because Scrubs could do it without anybody batting an eye because it was a sitcom. It's Scrubs. It's weird. Yeah. <laughs> and But for Buffy, it had this element of, yeah, sure, it's fantasy or whatever, but it still had that grit that realism, that seriousness. And because um, I remember when the uh, musical episode out, there was a lot of talk about it. It's saying, really, isn't this just a massive joke and things like that? So something I quite enjoyed, I know this is getting ahead of the conversation a little bit, but something I really enjoyed when I watched the musical episode is that it was actually an integral part of the story mm-hmm. of that season. I thought it was going to be a side episode that was completely irrelevant to the ongoing narrative it would just be oh the musical episode it wasn't that fun and then it's back to the main story but yeah. actually key things happen in the Buffy narrative in the musical episode and I really like I, I like it for that yeah and they they point out in the episode the absurdity of it on multiple occasions mm. um, and there are bits where you hear other people in the town uh, you hear little snippets of their songs, which is really fun as a way of like pointing out just how 
weird and crazy this is happening. Um, there's a, mm. a ballad that you overhear for a little bit of a woman begging a police officer to not give her a ticket because the hydrant wasn't there when she parked and stuff like that. Yeah. They got the master. Yeah. <laughs> the very first time was they asked, you know, is it a spell? You know, should we be thinking about a spell that has only affected us or is it the whole town? And Buffy opens up the door and there's a whole song and dance number going on of someone singing about how the dry cleaners got a mustard stain out of a shirt. And then she just <laughs> closes the door on it and goes, no, it's not. It's not just us. <laughs> yeah, I think. Um, sh- should we talk about the songs for a moment? Yeah, go ahead. I think the songs are actually pretty good. Um, I I listen to the soundtrack, not like every day, but I, I, I put the soundtrack on and I know most of the words and they're, they're catchy songs, mm. which I think is also key to it being a really popular episode because, as I mentioned with the community musical episode, I, I can't remember any of the songs. It all just kind of fell flat. Yeah. So some of the success of the episodes lies with those songs and as you said a lot of it is done with a wink and a smile mm. towards towards the camera that um you know that they know they're not taking themselves too seriously one of my favorite lines is willow singing i think this line's mostly fuller yeah and bless alison hannigan she cannot sing no, and she is... actually, I, I read that um, both her and the person who plays Dawn uh, mm. basically said, please, please do not have me sing. So when Dawn gets captured by the demon at one point, and instead of having a song number, she actually does a ballet number because mm. she's a trained ballet dancer, yeah. which I thought was a really nice touch that it wasn't just singing. It was also dancing as well. Um, but Allison doesn't sing at all really no, she has like just, two lines just maybe those two lines. well the first and... time when she sang and i've got a theory i thought oh no <laughs> she's just it's off very... key completely because everyone is using their their own voice which i think helps to add to the vibe of if you were just suddenly breaking into song not everyone's voice would be beautiful to sure. listen to <laughs> yeah absolutely you know and people wouldn't hit the notes right that being said there are two actors, I think, mm. that have stellar voices and really just carried the whole show, the whole episode. And that's Anthony Stewart Head, the love of your life. Um, and uh, Amber Benson, who plays Tara. Mm. I think Both that's have why some they really gave... good voices. I think that's why they gave um, Tara the um, the big ballad. Yeah. Um, at that she sings entirely on her own. I think she's the only one who has a song that only her sing. Um, that only she sings. I beg your pardon. Does I thought Buffy because Buffy's opening number, but Buffy's I guess she's got number, backup yes. song like singers and yes. and like the the vampires say little quips and stuff. But it is mostly Buffy. Yeah. Um. And Anthony Stewart had um played Frankenfurter in the early 90s. Mm. Google it. There's some fabulous pictures I would have killed to have seen uh, him play Frankenfurter. And there's a video of him on YouTube singing it as well, and he's really good. So, he's got a great voice. Yeah, there's like a kind of a point right before the big showdown where uh, Anthony Stewart Head and Amber Benson are singing a duet together. And it was mm. just one of those things where I was like, really? Like, <laughs> They've definitely put the two better singers You've together. You've got to put the two better singers together for it because otherwise... And I do think that um, Anthony Stewart Head also sang a song all by himself. Uh, yeah. Now that I am thinking about it, he sings a song about... Um, his kind of inner truth song is that he's realizing that he's been kind of sheltering Buffy a lot yeah, and is worried that it's kind of keeping her from growing up because, oh, well, I mean, maybe you should talk a little bit about, um, about the, the main storylines of the show mm-hmm. and that there's, as I said, like they're kind of revealing a lot of hidden truths. And so it's all kind of tied to those larger narratives that, um, that Alad was talking about. And one of the big ones is that Buffy died at the end of the previous season. Mm-hmm. And so then at the beginning of this one, the Scooby gang 
primarily led by Willow, decided to cast a spell to bring her back to life. Because uh, they believed that she was in some kind of hell dimension. Um, but actually, Buffy reveals in a previous episode to Spike that she was actually in heaven. Or and what they... she understands as heaven. Yeah, which is really fascinating. And, and this was... Um, there, there is a lot of Buffy that is very reliant on a Christian understanding of world building, for yes. lack of a better word. That's not that's not how they would view it, but um, an understanding of the way the world works and the way that the afterlife is structured and things like that. It is a very Christo focused in mm. um, in Buffy, which I guess makes sense with ideas of the vampires that are afraid of the cross, and you've got vampires and werewolves and those kind of more Western conceptions of supernatural but um what is interesting is her her definition for lack of a better word of the heaven that she was in which is simply that everything was peaceful yeah bless yeah that it was there wasn't any pain Mm. but it wasn't like big paradise of i was also super happy it was it wasn't even like crazy happiness it was just a a lack of pain or suffering so it was that kind of like level of contentment and mm. peace rather than the overjoy which yeah. i think is probably what a lot of people particularly in the west might think of as the kind of christian idea of heaven yeah 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 which I think is really fascinating. Did you have any any thoughts on the the heaven hell scape? Yeah, I I thought it was really interesting how she, for a good while, particularly in when she in the in the non musical episode when she reveals to Spike that you know she thought she'd been brought back into hell, that the real mm. the real world, that the world in which she lived in the current life, that is hell. Um, but I I I do find it interesting that that scene because I've shown it in class in the past, goes on for about five, six minutes. And it takes her a long while to come to the conclusion that it's heaven. She describes it in very abstract ways. And then I think the line is something like, oh, I guess it was like heaven. And then in the musical, she's basically describing it as heaven. Yeah. But until that point, she was just in a state of peace. Um... I've also, I've always really liked the fact that she tells Spike and no one else Mm. because Spike has died and there's that kinship between the two of them. Yeah. And then of course when she reveals in song to to the Scooby gang, her friends, that this is how she felt, Spike is the one who comes in and saves her essentially. Mm-hmm. And reassures yeah, her. he's got the the really wonderful line of um, "You've just got to keep on living because that's just what it is. It's living." Yeah, life isn't bliss. Life is just this. It's living. Yeah, and yeah. I I also really like in that song. This is just purely a musical thing, but I like that when Buffy sings "Heaven," she's off key, mm-hmm. intentionally off key. It kind of gives that song that downward spiral feel because she goes down musically. Um, to me it feels like the song is starting to go out of control yeah and uh, and as all those emotions come, especially for Willow whose bright idea it was to bring her back and for context as well Giles really roasts Willow for bringing Buffy back as delighted as he is to see her again yeah Um, and so he makes it pretty clear that she was being a very silly child um, well, this so is the this is the season where the big bad is Willow, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's, Which it's was a really interesting most, twist to it. It's the most angsty season. Well, yeah, <laughs> uh, 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 angst is dripping out of uh, that show all the time. But season six in particular, my goodness, that that is a dip. Because is it also depressing? Uh, depressing? Is it? Isn't it also season six where there's the episode where you find out that maybe everything that's happening in Buffy is going on in her head? I don't actually... remember. 
there's there's a really fantastic episode where she's slipping between two realities the one where she's the slayer and another slayer where she's in hospital being um um treated for delusions where she thinks she's a slayer do you remember this episode? I vaguely. And I conclu- always hate these kinds of episodes. Though. Oh, the, what's wonderful about this episode is that it can cl- it doesn't actually resolve anything. It leaves it open that actually, this could all be going on inside Buffy's head that she isn't the Slayer whatsoever. There isn't a oh, and now she's back. And she she just has to have faith really that this is her life. I think it's a great episode. <laughs> I always hate those episodes. They get me so stressed. Oh, it's an incredibly stressful episode. And it's, and yeah, I think it's in season six, which is just our incredibly bleak season. Yeah. Because Willow well, does a yeah. lot of things. So, so Buffy, um, basically since being brought back to life, as we've kind of hinted at, is, is, is depressed and is really struggling with depression. Although they never say it that way. Um, they no. they kind of worded in very different ways, probably because this was a time where mental health was not seen as a as a very good thing to be discussing. Yeah, I think it would be it would have been explored in much greater depth had the had that season be made today. Oh yeah. Um I instead they kind of just hint that she just needs to kind of pull herself together. You know, those those kinds of <laughs> phrasings that you're used to hearing she with depression. Smile like, more. You should you should just be happy. You're alive. <laughs> just be happy. It's like, yeah. ugh. <laughs> um, so that's kind of what's going on with Buffy. Uh there's Anya and Xander, who uh mm. Anya is a vengeance demon that is now a human that is now dating Zonder, and they're actually... Oh, gosh, in- I'd completely forgotten about that angle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. But uh, they're, they're feeling a lot of anxiety about, you know, the idea of forever with another human. Oh, it's the most, it's the most heteronormative song. Oh, uh, yeah, I've they have a... Heard. It's like, oh, the ball and chain. Oh, yeah. I, I, I hate my spouse. And it's like, well, d- d- just don't be together then. It's... Yeah, they've got that very classic song. It, it that one kind of draws on those um, kind of old school musical ones of you know the tap dancing and Gene mm. Kelly and yeah, that it, that yeah. type of musical. Uh, that's kind of the that's the way that the music sounds. It's the way that the singing sounds. They have got little jabs at each other and mm. and, and then they're dancing on a like, table. Ooh. You know, it's. <laughs> The, the big um, robes that they're wearing because it's happening in the morning and they're wearing fuzzy slippers and stuff. It's it's mm. very that vibe. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then you've got Willow, back to our more, um, you know, angsty stuff, who has magically manipulated Tara mm. uh, into forgetting a an argument that they had. Um, so that way they can just go back to being happy and um it, it's kind of yeah there's there's some yeah obviously some issues and uh tara's big ballady song that alad was talking about was a love song to willow when she's still not aware that this stuff mm. was going on but it's called i'm under, under your, your spell, spell. <laughs> yeah and that, so the audience is one step ahead of Tara and thinks, oh, that means two things. Yeah, so we, we know the double meaning. And I think by the end of the episode, Tara has realized that yeah. she's playing with the memory. And then you have that thing that happens when shit like that happens in, in relationships where you go, how how much has this been happening? Is it just one time or has this been going on for a long time? And, mm. you know, it's it's the loss of trust thing yeah. that happens. Yeah, very recently as well, um, Umbrella Academy has tapped into that uh, question as well of um, magical, for want of a better term, manipulation. Mm. Where somebody becomes very unsure if their entire relationship with someone is based on a lie, if they've ever loved someone in the first place. Because they've been controlled by the power of another person. Yeah. And, you know, as much as we're talking about magic and stuff here, it, it does tie into, like I said, things things like that happen in a relationship, even if it's not based off of some spell of a flower that you put under someone's pillow. It's Yeah. 
it's still things that you that you deal with. And I think Taru makes a reference to that in her duet number uh, with Giles near the end as she says something about um, having experienced something like this before, which mm. I don't think she means it in a magical sense. She means no, it in no. a distrust sense. Yeah, that she's been coerced. Yeah. Um, and then you have Giles, who's been really struggling with the fact that Buffy is struggling. Because Giles is her kind of surrogate father figure for yes. people who haven't seen Buffy before. Yeah. Um, and so he's really struggling with the he's fact the that... Li- he's the librarian with the abnormally close relationship with these high school students. Yeah, well, I mean, to be fair, it was part of his job at the beginning, because he's a oh, watcher. He still spends a lot of time with... I, look, I, I am Giles <laughs> till I die. I love Jaws, but uh, I don't know if it's because I used to be a, a secondary school teacher, but when, especially when I watch those early seasons before they leave school, I'd just be like, why on earth are these four kids spending this much time with the librarian? Especially At like somebody least... like Xander. Xander's not there to study, is he? At least it is a parental relationship. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. in the early 2000s, they did not have many qualms with age issues. No, no. I mean, even like 10 years later when you look at Glee, which is even worse for that. Oh, yeah. But uh... there was a, a whole thing with that as with um, Pretty Little Liars as well. I don't know how oh, familiar really? you are with this. But one of the storylines, because it's from a book, and the original storyline in the book is that this this girls dating her teacher and then the teacher like gets arrested as you would if you Mm. were dating a student and then they like move on with the life and be like yeah that was a thing and that was bad and now we're moving on and but for some reason people were like stanning the relationship in when it was a tv show so the Mm. she ends up with the teacher at the end and he never goes to jail and it's like this is a problem yeah yeah to be fair there's nothing like that in buffy no, no, that's what I'm saying. It's it's the people TV shows at this time would have had no problems making that a thing in Buffy, and that's why it's good that it wasn't in Buffy. Yeah, for sure. No, Giles was definitely it's a I said he's a, he's a father figure, and he yeah, he mentions multiple guy. times. Yeah, he mentions multiple times throughout the series references to her being a daughter. Yeah, um, and she makes references to him being like his because he's father also to her. he's also the Slayer's watcher. That yeah. person who is designated um, to watch over, quite literally, the, the Slayer and train them, hone their abilities, and to protect them. The Slayer, for people who are, are listening, is a, a girl who's born once in a generation to Magical tackle girl. the evils and the vampires. Uh, yeah, so I can't remember the opening monologue, but there's something, especially in the early seasons, there's a monologue from Giles where he describes that the Slayer is a teenage girl every generation who has these amazing super strength magical powers to take on the dark forces and then there ends up being lots of various slayers along the way due to dying and resurrection and so forth yeah because buffy dies a lot buffy dies a lot so then there's a lot of slayers popping up a lot of collateral (laughs) collateral slayers (laughs) yeah i mean to be fair at the end isn't there like thousands of slayers or something yeah that's the conclusion is that um it, uh, they're often girls who are in um, traumatic positions um, who are given the ability to basically stand up for themselves because they're being abused or um, assaulted or so forth. There's some really grim scenes of like some children being abused and then all of a sudden they get their slayer power and uh, they're able to fight back. So what was... What was Buffy's story? I mean, obviously her dad's not around, but he didn't seem like an ass. No, I think he turns up in like one episode. Yeah. Um. Well, well, sorry, what do you mean by his story? Like in that season or just in general? No, no, like what was her trauma or did she not have one? Apart if the whole from... idea is that Slayers were born from like traumatic oh, situations. Yeah, I, I think that I think that just applies to the situation where then there were thousands of Slayers. Yeah, that's just a retrofitting. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's uh, anything. She, she seems a part of the original hook was is that she was distinctly ordinary. Yeah. So uh, her mother couldn't understand why she was being expelled from school for building down, a uh, building down, burning down a building. That's it. I think it was the school gym because there were vampires in it. 
which mm. she obviously couldn't tell her mum. Yeah. So, um, I I think one thing that I want to mention before we get further in, although we're already about half an hour in, so what are you gonna do? But um, that I when I first mentioned to my partner, for example, that we were gonna do this Buffy episode, he was a bit confused because he was like, "Oh, they don't really spend a lot of time talking about specifically religion." Mm. And I could have picked a couple of things. I was debating on picking the one that you were talking about, where she first is telling Spike about being in, in supposedly heaven. Um, I was debating on the body, um, mm. which is the episode where her that's mom another, dies. That's another top five episodes. Yeah. And I was debating on Hush. I decided not to do Hush because I was already delving into Hush. And I decided not to do the other one because I, I didn't... I kind of wanted to talk about stuff that wasn't as overt, because I think mm. we sometimes do that. We spend a lot of time talking about, say, you know, the representation of Islam or yeah. how to talk about religion in a very specific instance. I'm going to and... use a term that you really hate. Implicit religion. I do dislike. I'm sorry. I just I wrote Alan a huge chapter where I spent a lot of time complaining about that term. It's a useful category for conveyance. It's a nice thing to think with. Do you want to explain implicit religion? Because I think it's something that we play around with on this yeah. pod, but I don't think we've ever... Well, we've probably directly talked about it, but not often. So the idea of implicit religion is essentially what we're trying to do with this podcast, with this particular episode of Buffy, is we're talking about religion um, appearing, or rather, not necessarily appearing, in aspects of life that are not overtly explicit. So you are not. we're not talking about... Um, an episode of Buffy to do with uh, a church, for example. Mm. We're talking about something that on the surface may appear to be completely non-religious, but when you begin to untangle it and unpack it, actually you see religion is at play here. Yeah. I mean, we could argue over some aspects of that, but that would be a discussion about implicit religion, and yeah. that's not what we're doing today. Yes. <laughs> that, that's, that's just a brief overview of what is generally meant by implicit religion. So we've kind of talked about the the thing with Buffy and the issues with Buffy in regards to her in this episode of being struggling with depression, having been risen from the dead. We've all been there. Um, and uh, I think one of the things that's really... <laughs> did it's that really take good you a, as a second? Teenager, you can, yeah, I was, I was just thinking about how teenagers could really relate to that story. Yeah. <laughs> Who among us? But there's um, a kind of primary theme in Buffy as the show throughout, uh, I would say, probably every season um, to potentially every episode, which is themes around communication mm. um, and conversation and miscommunication. There are episodes where they mess up a spell because they don't word things exactly correctly. Um, yes. Yeah. Or there's, they're not talking about their issues when they should be talking about their issues. Or, or they scan a demon into the internet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or they, uh, they're talking too much when they should be more pared down. And um, I think this is why the episode Hush is so stand out to a lot of people who watch Buffy because um, the, the episode Hush is where the, the instead of the monster of the week making everyone sing and dance, the monster of the week removes everyone's ability to speak. Mm, it's like so it's the bulk of the episode, like 20 minutes of the episode to 25 minutes, maybe it's just silence. I mean, you get like the, um, you know, the background noise of things happening, sound effects and stuff, but you I don't even think they put very much music in those bits. It's mostly... Mm. I mean, they play music when you see the the monsters, the gentlemen. And yeah, if I recall correctly, it's decidedly Danny Elfman-esque. Oh, yes. It's very it's very specifically creepy. And the yeah. gentlemen have a very, like, Slenderman-esque vibe to them. Um, this was before Slenderman, so um, it... I should have phrased it differently. Slenderman was probably derived from the gentleman rather than the other way around. But mm. um, I, I think it borrows from some elements. They do have faces and they are particularly yes. creepy faces. They are, yes. And of course, again, mental health issues. They are followed by uh, little helpers that are in straight jackets. Um, but... Uh, but basically, um, that episode was all silence. And so I think it's really interesting... That this episode, 
once more with feeling is essentially the entire opposite of hush, where instead of being facing ideas of communication and miscommunication by stripping communication, they solve or talk about issues of communication by giving them too much of it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it taps into the idea as well of musicals always being talking about one's feelings. Yeah. And of course, like, musicals always have that that thing to them where someone breaks into a whole song and dance, but then when it picks back up with the narrative, no one has heard what that person has just spouted right <laughs> it's like a, it's like a soliloquy like an old school soliloquy but set to music yeah but like they they don't pick up on it unless it's a duet or unless it's part of a direct conversation like it's always sometimes hard to figure out which things the, the rest of the time the... yeah you get this very much with um your classic broadway musicals yeah the time will almost pause that someone mm. will just burst into song. Like, they'll arrive somewhere. And so, good example, in Wicked, when they arrive at the Emerald City, they'll do a ho- They'll stand, at, they'll get to the entrance, and then they'll just sing about the fact they're at the Emerald City, and then go in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it, it just wasn't awkward at all. It, so, um, but in, in Buffy, they play with that idea by making it so that everyone has it's heard hi- your soliloquy. Yeah, is, is hyper aware of it. <laughs> they're very aware of it. They're listening to it. They're hearing it and they're reacting to it. Mm. Um, which uh, I don't know how much I would want people to be hearing my soliloquies because I definitely talk to myself a lot <laughs> when I'm by myself. So I could imagine the kind of song and dance I would burst into that my husband would be like, what are you doing? <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing. The conversations that we have with ourselves in our minds, you know, things that we don't necessarily want to share for a variety of reasons, not necessarily in a, you know, in a nefarious way, just yeah. in a, this is just how I'm processing things and this is how I feel about things. Um, that That's something that that I that, that's something that would give me some anxiety because I, I'm I am quite a private person. Mm. It it I have to get to know somebody pretty well before I open them. So the thought of bursting into song, even though I would I would you know I don't know songs. Yeah, I'd, I'd be great, but but I I <laughs> ser- sure. I I, I, uh, I would certainly not be comfortable with that idea. So it's an interesting premise, isn't it? Yeah, and it, I think it's not abnormal. I think in pop culture to kind of play with this idea of the inner thoughts becoming outer thoughts. Um, I was just watching, I've been watching Sandman very slowly. And um, there's a whole episode, which is actually a really fascinating episode to watch. We should probably maybe talk about it because I loved the episode. But there's an episode where one of the characters decides to strip everyone's lies in a mm. diner. So there's, it's a really cool setup where you start getting all the gossip from these just random people that are just living a normal life in this diner. Yeah, and it gradually just becomes... And it I'm, gradually really gets crazier and crazier, yes, but he's he's stripping their, their way of lying and mm. that's all senses of it. So, you know, the waitress who says, oh, you know, want some more coffee handsome? And he's like, you don't think I'm handsome. Uh, and then she starts to say, no, I don't think you're handsome. And, yeah. And she's clearly disturbed by the fact that she's... Yeah, and it's and at, at the end of the episode, obviously they're making a point of, they're not lies necessarily. It's that, you know, we have our own ideas of dreams and functions that may seem like lies on the outside, but actually mm. this is just how we live is yeah. by I mean they make it as a whole thing about dreaming because it's Sandman but um, it's the the conception of the way that we function in society and the way that we think about how communities are built that you can't have all of your inner thoughts be outer thoughts because it'll just collapse your social bubble yeah absolutely because you kind of have to have those insular thoughts not because again like you were saying not because they're nefarious it's just because because you you it's just crazy to like have every single thing that you're thinking of known to everybody around you it's just not important Mm. um so yeah I, i found it 
this kind of plays a similar idea to that same man episode where they um, kind of strip that back. So then suddenly all the inner voices are becoming outer voices mm-hmm. and now everyone has to deal with it. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, it, they're always they're always truths that will affect others. Mm. So it's never things like some somebody doesn't turn around and say, oh, well, you know, not a lot of you know this, but I like to sing in the shower. It's it's not mundane things like that. It's usually what's known as truth bombs. Yeah. So, so something that when is re- when it's revealed has an enormous consequence on those around you and your relationship. Yeah. With like them. if Alan decided that he just wanted to truth bomb and say that he really hates when I interrupt him when we're recording a podcast, and then it would. <laughs> I mean, I can't do that because I interrupt you all the time, so that's fine. <laughs> but it would it. it would be that thing that would cause essentially an unnecessary. Uh, friction that while we're both aware that this is something that is probably annoying, it being voiced is a really <laughs> I, different I, I, is situation. Is this your roundabout way of saying, Alad, stop insulting me? I'm sorry if I do. No, it's, it's me apologizing for the way that I do that. I haven't noticed it, so you're okay. Okay, well, that's good. But yeah, it's. Ooh, you hear that <laughs> awkward silence there, everyone? That's why I interrupt you because I'm like, I'm. I'm I start anticipating awkward silences, you, so I well, fill it, want, even though it's not want, silent yet. <laughs> yeah, you don't want dead air on the radio, do you? Even though I can edit it out, but we both know I'm not going to. We both know you're not going to, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I, um, it's an interesting kind of reflection on community and construction mm. of community and construction of society and and the way that we kind of have to, to structure ourselves. Um, I can probably edit this out if you don't want to talk about it. Oh, okay. But I wrote down a note of determinism versus free will. Yes. And that's all I wrote. <laughs> yeah, and that's all she wrote. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very thorough. I, I know exactly what you want to talk about. So how does determinism and free will play? I'm assuming you're referring to the fact that they are... Uh, that they don't have control over what they are confessing and what they're confessing about is their attempt to control their lives. So, for example, they're using Willow's using her free will to um, magically manipulate Tara. But then there's the determinism where um, they can't help the situation that they're in and everything's coming out in the open. Or have I completely misread your? No, no, I, I, I think a little bit of both. Of both, <laughs> the second option is my option. Um, no, I think, I think this episode plays with because I think the theme of determinism versus free will is another one that pops up often in Buffy, mm. and uh, this is another kind of clear example of it. Of like you pointed out, you know, Willow is the. They had a huge argument, her and Tara, that seemed like they were probably going to break up over it. And so she exerts free will to control Tara to keep them from breaking up. But of course, doing that is going to make them break up. And it's that kind of thing. And it's also the issue that Buffy is faced with all the time of that free her own free will versus the duty of the slayer yeah there's so many moments in the show where she does not want to be the slayer anymore in fact i think there's an episode where she says she quits yeah <laughs> and, and, and she just can't that's just she just you can't know, this is your role you have to deal with it and um you know in some senses part of the issue of buffy's depression at you know being alive is the fact that she has fully given over to the duty. So in mm. the times that she's really struggling with, you know, her her post-resurrection, for lack of a better word, mm. um, she she is, she's no longer fighting that fight of the free will versus determinism. She's fully, I'm just the slayer and I'll do my duty until yeah. I'm done. But it all gets more severe, doesn't it? Because in the early seasons, she wants to not be the Slayer so she can do things like go to a house party and not have to uh, um, go on patrol for vampires and stuff. You know, it's little things like that. And then gradually it gets to the point where, no, 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 you can't even be dead. 
Yeah. You have to come back and do overtime. You can't even just have a peaceful afterlife. Yeah, you've got yeah, to come you, back you, and you've keep got, doing you've, this. You, you've got to come back. So, yeah. But, yeah, I, I find it interesting that through most of this episode, and, and I think that part of it's kind of captured in that beginning number that Buffy sings. Yes. Um, is that idea of, I'm just... I'm doing the duty. I'm now, I've given in, I'm the slayer and Going I'm no longer fighting for my own free will. And mm. somehow that is like not having the argument between determinism mm. and free will is mm. essentially in a way giving up. And I don't mean that in any kind of negative light of depression. I'm just trying to mm. using you, the you even have show's own themes, idea. Uh, you even have these themes trickling into, um, Giles' song mm. about how he's concerned that he's sheltered Buffy to the point where he's not letting her go off and make her own decisions. Yeah, and that that feeling he has of you know wanting to be like a father to her, but what does that mean? What does a father figure do for a daughter? Yeah, when when do you let go? When it's time for them to fly the nest? And he kind of makes a dumb decision by she's going off to fight the demon to save her sister and he just says we're not going to come and help you which i think oh, is that, that which reminds... is the stupidest decision <laughs> yeah because part of the theme of buffy is that teamwork makes the dream work right yeah that it's the power of friendship that they would it would be a great anime oh but... it would be a fantastic anime it'd be <laughs> the know... best magical girl anime she'd have yeah. to have a transformation every time she became the slayer of course of course uh but it would it, <laughs> it, it, the power of friendship solves everything in buffy and i really like that moment where buffy's like having a sing-off with the demon even though the demon doesn't sing yeah and um and giles says to tara and um Anya, interestingly not Willow for reasons that we've already discussed go and back Buffy up and back Buffy up means doing backing vocals for her song (laughs) they're doing like a little dance behind (laughs) her and doing backup uh, vocals harmonies obviously it doesn't sound like that, it sounds good but um, (laughs) that's a a moment that always cracks me up yeah but yeah it's a it was a weird, I still don't quite understand the the reasoning behind the decision at first because obviously very quickly they go no never mind we're gonna come and back up Buffy but it's like the damage is already done you're <laughs> yeah <laughs> let's take this girl who's depressed and say you know what now you have no friends <laughs> yeah they do the whole rise and fall and rise thing don't they with uh, the Scoobies a lot yeah yeah um but at least you get walk through the fire which is just I was just about to sing it, and then I went, I'm not going to subject our listeners no, to that. No, uh, Walk Through the Fires. Re- You're a pretty good singer, aren't you? I mean, I've never heard you sing, but you've told me that Tom is impressed by your singing. Well, but I, I have learned that Tom's family can basically not carry a tune, so I okay. don't know if my ability to occasionally hit a note is just massively it's impressive. A- <laughs> Okay, fair enough. Well, but as... I, I will not put it on on podcast record. Maybe a well, different day when um, yeah we're gaming together. I'll Un- break out. Unfortunately, song. unfortunately, Wales is known as the land of song, but I'm the exception that proves the rule. Um, I, I'm not a singer. I can I can do some yell singing. So if I'm listening to more aggressive <laughs> music like my chem, for example, I can belt out. I'm not okay. I, you I can, can, uh, can do some cake songs. Um, but I definitely... Um, y- you won't find me doing Celine Dion. <laughs> Much to Celine Dion's relief. <laughs> you can edit that out. That's a joke. <laughs> yeah, because I'm sure she'll listen and have an opinion <laughs> on it. <laughs> oh, dear me. Sorry, what were we saying? We were talking about determinism for Determinism, well. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Right. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a core theme throughout Buffy, and I think it's something that is meant to relate to a teenage audience as well, who are feeling a little bit like, Ugh, school sucks, life sucks, and but I have to do all these things, and then you watch Buffy, and then like, mundane, not always mundane, of course, but sometimes mundane issues can 
uh, you help you relate to the character and so on. Because this is the interesting thing. As I said, I didn't watch Buffy as a teenager. But my wife, Toria, she did watch Buffy as a teenager. And um, she clearly found the show incredibly cathartic. Mm. Particularly season six. Because it's the most depressing season for a whole number of reasons. Because I think it's also the season where Tara dies. It is. Oh yeah, of course it is. Because that's why Dark Willow appears. Yeah. So yeah, a lot happens in season six. It's very heavy going. Um, Which is why the musical episode, despite it still dealing with really heavy themes, is actually a little bit of a relief. Yeah. Because you you get some fun, chirpy musical numbers. Um, The... I think even because we haven't discussed Spike's song. No, which I love that they gave him like a punk rock. Yeah, yeah, definitely. song because it's and you know he sings a song basically about how he loves Buffy and how Buffy's constantly turning up in his life and he hates the fact that he loves her because he's an edgy bad boy vampire. Yeah, but also part of the song is he wants to rest in peace, but he can't because he's a vampire. Mm. So which is why it makes it perfect that he's the one to deliver the line to Buffy at the end that life isn't bliss life is just this it's living because he has to do it too and i think he even says so one of us will be living which Mm. is also an interesting commentary yeah he's still still dead isn't he because he's still technically dead even though he's not dead and that he's kind of trying to push her into this thing of like at least you're alive and you can kind of have that is this before he gets his soul back yeah, so I think this is the be- the end of the episode for um, Once More With Feeling is when Buffy decides to actually go full force and, and basically date Spike. Hmm. Um, and so I think she dates him for a while before he gets his soul back. Because there's like weird him not having a soul things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because there's a particularly grim storyline that leads to him him seeking his soul back. Yeah. Which I don't so, yeah, this is... to get into now because I don't want it to get too heavy. Yeah. So this is this is before that. Um mm. but I I do always love Spike. Because the fa- oh yes, but Spike's wonderful. Uh the prob the problem he also has is because he has no soul, he has no compassion. Mm. Uh, it, it starts to it's not as clear cut as it is at the beginning you know when angel loses his soul and he just becomes utterly ruthless because he just doesn't have any human compassion spike's already blurring those lines before he even gets his soul back because yeah. he's essentially one of the scoobies by that point well in spike even when he first appears because of the fact that like they go into his backstory but he was like the poet Mm. He was, like, a really bad poet in, like, the 1700s or something. And so I think that even when he became a vampire, he was still that kind of weird, fluidy, kind of... He just kind of went with the flow and didn't really, like, push against things sometimes. And and so I think he was... He was an interesting character even when he was the baddie. Yeah. Because he was a recurring baddie for a while. But well, even when he first turns up, he's actually scary. Oh, he's amazing. He's, he's a, he's a pro because, you know, he becomes a little bit comic relief. He was comic relief even when he first shows up. Yeah, because he was, a, still... he had the girlfriend. It was him and his like vampire girlfriend and he was obsessed with her and she did not give a crap about yeah. him. And it was really funny. Drusilla, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And he has that great moment where he says, someone's in the ceiling. <laughs> Do you remember that moment? Yes. Iconic. You would so he um James Marsters uh does all of the narration for all of the Dresden audiobooks. Yes. And there is a character that is supposed to have a crisp British accent, and that character is just Spike. Like he sounds like Spike, he talks like Spike. That's James cool. Marsters just plays him as Spike and it is amazing because you'll just be listening to it and it's and he hasn't um, James Marsters is American so he doesn't have the mm, British mm. accent normally but then, then it's like oh there's Spike <laughs> yeah I th- and I think it's a pretty convincing one as well yeah apparently he was always doing it to mock Anthony Stewart head which is uh, okay that's the that's, that's what his accent is is mocking other people there's also a wonderful episode, isn't there, where they think their father and son 
because no. they're both British. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, is brilliant, given the dynamic that Giles and Spike has. Well, we should probably stop um, reminiscing over Buffy yes. episodes. Um, I had a fun time. Thing. I love Buffy, and um, yes. maybe we'll we'll do another. Maybe once a year we'll do a we'll, we'll do a I, Buffy episode. I, I think as a complete change of pace, the body would be an interesting episode to discuss. Yeah, it's an it's an interesting. I was going to talk about it in in relation to conversations around religion and death and dying and hmm. grief. Um, and I think that's the approach that we would take from it. But like you said, it's a bit. Um, it's a really good episode for those discussions, um, mm. but it it can be a bit heavier than a fun musical episode. <laughs> I I wanted to ask you on a similar note before we end: Have you seen Doctor Horrible's sing along blog? I have, because that's also by Joss Whedon, mm-hmm. who I know is is now a problematic figure. Um, I think he was always a problematic figure, but we just didn't hear all the stories. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let let me rephrase. It's now apparent to us that he has always been a problematic figure. Um, But Doctor Horrible is is of the same vein, essentially, as uh, Once More We're Feeling. Very similar stylistically in terms of the songs that they do. And uh, I just really enjoy Doctor Horrible, so I was just curious if you'd seen it. I have seen it. I watched it when it was kind of newly on the internet scene. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think um, speaking of Joss Whedon, there's been a lot of stuff that's come out over the years yes. of specifically her uh, his treatment of um, Sarah Michelle Gellar, who plays Buffy. Yes. Um, so and, I do uh, want to acknowledge that I am aware yes. of those stuff. And and um, and I, I feel really bad. I can't remember the name of the actor who plays Cordelia. Mm, oh yeah. Um, but uh, his treatment of her has uh, also been under scrutiny. Yeah, she's um, she's a big role in Angel. Yes, um, that's right. Apparently, it was in relation to their dynamic on the set of Angel. Yeah, she's she's okay. uh, a really important character in Angel, and I love her in Angel. Um, so I, I we were looking up once what happened to her, and that was when I learned about a lot of stuff, and I was like, oh, that's mm. sad. <laughs> didn't want to learn all that stuff because she seems so amazing and like a really good actress and yeah 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 for sure for sure and i do need to watch uh angel as well so that i can get more spike in my life because spike is an angel spike is an angel uh they they as much as angel's a big broody character the whole show also makes fun of the fact that he's a broody character which makes mm. it less broody yeah, yeah it yeah. makes it a bit more silly at times mm. when he's a bit broody um, they have a Giles equivalent as well. Um, no, who's... they don't. No one could ever be Giles. <laughs> who's, you know, a bespeckled Englishman who yeah. is a librarian, you know. Uh, oh, they go, they go that, uh, that similar, do they? Yeah, yeah. I think he's a watcher. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, I, I can't remember. It's been a really long time now since I've seen Angel, but... Mm. Um, I can't remember when in our relationship we were watching Angel for me to have remembered this stuff, but mm-hmm. but it's really funny. What you should do is you should look up, and I suggest this to anybody who hasn't seen either Buffy or Angel, and I regret not doing this, because they used to, at one point, they were airing simultaneously. Yes. Um, and so they would actually refer to episodes that had like just aired. And so you can actually, um, print out or print out, it's on the, you can look on the internet. <laughs> what mm. am I, why am I 80 all of a sudden where you can, you can print out your map quest. No, you can, um, you can, uh, get like the list of which episodes to play in what order. So that yes. way you start yeah, doing there's... the interspersing. There was a point in Buffy where it said, previously on Angel. Yeah, exactly. And then you think, oh, okay, Buffy was in an episode of Angel all of a sudden. And, uh, yeah. And something happened. And, yeah, Yeah. so, and there was, like, because we just watched all of Buffy and then watched all of Angel. And I do regret it because there were times where they would just say something like, oh, yeah, because of what happened yesterday. And you're like, what happened yesterday? Like. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's that's a good idea because that sounds like quite a fun way of doing it but yeah i think it, it would be it would be a fun way of also re-watching bits of buffy and recontextualizing and stuff like that yeah, yeah sure highly suggest well if people want to tell you about angel and buffy and their favorite episodes and how much giles is amazing 
Where can they go? If people want to tell me about Angel and Buffy and how Jaws is amazing and their favourite episodes, they can come find me on Twitter at Thomas. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Vivian Asimos on Booth. Uh, and you can check out my blog, incidentalmythology.com. And you can also follow the show. We have a Twitter, not an Instagram. Maybe eventually on Instagram. I haven't decided what I would do with an Instagram. But we have a Twitter that I occasionally use. Um, at RPC underscore pod. Um, Hit that so, follow button. Yeah. And if you have any like commentaries that you want to send us or uh discussion points obviously twitter uh we've gotten a couple of discussions on twitter and we uh also get emails at religion pod at gmail.com i think that's all the plugging <laughs> i think so i think that's pretty comprehensive <laughs> it was a very fast one i think i'm getting better at it well thank you as always atlid for joining me i always love chatting with you about all things um religion pop culture but specifically buffy and everything in between and everything in between, like Buffy. <laughs> Indeed. Exactly. Implicit religion. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's For a what shame. it's worth, uh, I, I don't I, I don't particularly use the term implicit religion in my work. I I don't I don't I don't dislike it. Maybe not, uh, maybe we'll eventually at some point do like a bonus episode where we actually like talk about important terms in the study of religion and discuss them in like real senses rather than just quick overviews uh, and we can get into discussions and arguments about it and stuff sure that sounds good um so now that that's in the ether you know we're gonna have to do it eventually we're gonna have to do it because we've made a (laughs) promise to our loyal audience well thank you for being with me and thank you everyone for listening thanks everyone bye for now bye